good morning. It's good to be back with you. I uh, must have did a pretty good job last time. You had me back. If you want to take your Bibles and open them this morning to Psalm uh, chapter 19. Jonathan, I appreciate that introduction, uh, but my wife and my son are not here today. They're in deep, dark sin. They, uh, they, they're in Charleston, and I texted her before the service, and I said, uh, so what are you doing? And she said, I'm on the beach sipping my coffee. And I said, well, you big sinner. Make me do all the work. No, she said, we're going to church. We're going to, uh, there's uh, some friends of ours have an Anglican church down there. I, it's one of the conservative sites. I'm so thankful that you gave the pastoral uh, search committee update. And I'm really glad that you said that keep it confidential because we don't want his church to know that we're coming and that can mess things up really bad. And I, I, I'm glad you didn't say we've got to wait on him to get out of jail. But uh, that wouldn't be good. Psalm 19 this morning, we're going to look at a, a passage that may be familiar to you. Uh, it talks about how God's creation tells us who God is. And uh, I appreciate that song, Indescribable. Um, as uh, Jonathan said, we, my, we, we lived up in Pennsylvania for about seven years. And uh, we moved in May and then got into, you know, October, November, December, and I think it was maybe uh, November. Uh, we got our, I got my first northern snow, and it was on a Sunday morning, and it snowed about two inches, and I, and I thought, we're not going to have church today. Did you know pastors think that way? They wake up in the mornings, and if it's, if it's just a little bit of ice, they call the elders and say, I, don't, I really don't think we ought to have church today. One of those old people might slip. We do that. I, I know a guy, he poured, he poured his ice cubes in the parking lot and told the guys, it, it, it's too icy, we can't have church today. We were in Pennsylvania, and it snowed about two inches, and I went to I said, we're not going to have church today. I, I, get, I get a Sunday off. And about that time, my wife said, you better look outside. And folks, every Bubba in Pennsylvania, in that little city, if they had a truck, they had a blade on the front. And this was about 7.30, and by 8 o'clock, the roads were absolutely clean. They know what to do with snow up there. But, but that song says that uh, who's, who's told every lightning bolt where it should go? God did. Yeah, have you ever thought about how quick God is? God is so quick that he sends the lightning bolts, and he stores up all the snow in the heavens. Let's look at Psalm 19 this morning. And it tells us about God and how he speaks to us uh, in his word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, in other words, create, the created everything in creation is speaking to us. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. I wonder what he would have said if he knew what cotton candy was. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is great reward. Who can discern his own errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. uh, December 22, 2000, uh, Tom Hanks came out with a new movie. And by the way, if you ever go to the airport and you see Tom, everybody know who Tom Hanks is? If you ever go to the airport and you see Tom Hanks, run. Every time he's gotten on a plane, every time he's gotten on a spaceship, something bad happens to it. Uh, Tom Hanks made a, was in a movie called Castaway. And do you remember, do you remember his friend, the movie Castaway, if you hadn't seen it, if you were born, uh, I guess, before 2000 or after 2000, you might not have even seen it. You weren't even born when it came out. But December 20th, 22nd, uh, Tom Hanks came out with a movie. And the movie was about a plane crash where he's the only survivor. And he washes up on this island, and the only friend he has, he takes a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball, and he paints a smiley face on it, and that becomes his friend Wilson for the whole, the rest of the movie until he gets home. And so what's the difference in between what we're going to talk about this morning and Wilson, the the volleyball? Well... A volleyball is a person. A, 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 volley, a volleyball is an object. Wilson was the only, he made up had to make up somebody to talk to him. We can't treat God like an object. God is not an object. He's a person. He's a person just like we can relate to. And one of the things about preaching is I can tell if you're listening. I can tell, it, it, you know, some people nod and they say, yeah, I get that. And some people nod and they don't nod back up. <laughs> so I can tell this, I can tell when you're getting it and I can tell when you're listening. And if you fall asleep, that's okay. I, won't, I, won't, I don't get angry. I, I fell asleep during my own sermon one time. <laughs> you just, those things happen. But what I want to say to you this morning is that God is a person. We can relate to him. We can know him. He's not like a volleyball. And so um, the gift of the scriptures, this passage tells us that God, through the Bible, tells us who he is. We don't have to wonder about it. It's called revelation. It's called, it's called uh, we have the mind of God. We have the heart of God. We know what life is like. I know from living 27 years with my wife, I know. I think I'm getting a clue on what she likes and what she doesn't like. I'm still learning. 
But what I want to show you this morning is that there's something. What is it that shapes your heart? I could have told the kids this morning when you play with silly putty or Play-Doh. You remember you used to, all I could ever do was make us ball and a snake. I grew up with people, they could do some amazing things with Play-Doh and, and things. But something shapes our heart. Something in your life is shaping your heart right now. And what the Bible tells us is that does God's word shape our heart? Now, I, you, you know this. If you grew up in church, you know you're supposed to read it. You're supposed, we're supposed to meditate on it. We're supposed to digest it like I did those ice cream sandwiches yesterday. I, man, those were good. I could eat in the whole box, but there are only two in the box. We eat those, and those things become a part of us. That's what God's Word does. Something is going to shape our hearts. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your money? What do you do with your relationships? What do you do with the things that you love, the things that you hate, your desires, your values, your deepest thoughts, your, what motivates you? Why, why do you do what you do? Things in our world, relationships, people, things have a way of shaping our heart. And something's gotta get got gotta get over all the clamor and all the all the sparkly, glittery stuff that gets in our life so that like the kids, we don't make a big deal out of God anymore. We come to God and it's just kind of boring. It's not flashy like that, and there's so many things that we could talk about. I'm reading a book about how, how technology shapes our hearts. I'll let you know what I find out about it, but so many things shape our hearts. Psalm 19 is a great psalm. It's a great so, uh, song to help us to see how God's Word shapes our heart. I want to ask two really quick questions this morning, and we'll be done, and you can go out and go to lunch and take what? Take one, that wasn't for the kids either. Take one more step, and whether you eat a tomato sandwich or you eat a Arby's whatever or wherever you go, you take one more step, and let's look at how God's Word shapes our hearts. Look at verses number one. What shapes our hearts? This passage tells us that, God, that, God, that creation and all that God's spoken to us shapes our hearts. Verses seven to nine, they're, they're, they're statements that say the law of the Lord is this, the testimony of the Lord is sure, the precepts of the Lord are right. Those things tell us the benefits of God's word. Now look at them. Look in verses 7, 8, and 9, and he uses the word right or righteous. The, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's same, the same Hebrew word is translated a little different. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Verse Nine, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Righteous doesn't mean condescending, look down your nose at someone. That's what a lot of people think righteous means. They say, oh, Joe back there, he goes to Clover ARP and he's right. I don't, if you're named Joe, I'm not picking on you. I'm just picking out a name. But Joe goes to Clover ARP and he goes to church and he tries to live right. But sometimes he's just, he's just smug and he's not even fun to be around. He thinks he's so righteous. And that's not what righteous means. The word righteous 
has to do with the straight edge. Probably you guys or some of you guys are carpenters or you, you're like me. You tried to do something around the house. And I tried to fix my son's bed one time. You know, the kind had the slats in the bottom. Well, they were jumping like boys do and broke one of those slats. I had to go cut a board. And I, had, I said, I didn't have a straight edge. I didn't have a ruler. I said, I'll just use one of the other boards. Did you know that boards are crooked? I cut the board. I put it in the bed. And I thought, Yay me, put a sticker on my chart. I, it, the bed kept falling in, and the, it's because I didn't have a straight edge to make the slat in the bed right. That's what that word means. It means there's a straight edge that God gives to us, and it's a standard that we can, can, can measure what we love, what we desire, and who God is, and it tells us who, what God is like. You know what we mostly go to? We go to our own judgment. We go at decisions and we go at complicated things in life, things much more complicated than bed slats about who to marry, where to go to college, what job to take, how to discipline our children, how to raise our children, and those things. And God says, we have a straight edge. I, God says, I give you a straight edge that will help you in this life. If we try to measure, and sometimes we try to measure ourselves by each other. Now, if you think it's bad when preachers pray that it snows on a Sunday morning, let me look into your little mind for a minute. And, th- th- and uh, see, if I measure myself by you and you measure yourself by me, we're both crooked. Not that we're all going to go rob a bank tomorrow. But we're crooked in the sense that we don't think the right way. Sin makes us selfish and th- sin makes us think stupid things. I, I think stupid things because I'm broken. A, a lot of people use the three E's to try to decide things. Th- these are things that, that shape our hearts and we use the three E's. Number one is expectations. Remember when you were in high school and Everybody start talking about peer pressure. I remember that. I remember. Oh, that's what's wrong with me. It's them. But we go by other people's expectations. What does everybody else think? What do most people think? What's fashionable? What's the thing that's sort of fashionable for us? We make our decisions sometimes not based on the right standards of God's word, but we make it on other people's expectations. Let me tell you something. That will turn your hair white. It'll turn your hair gray. If you try to live up to what everybody in the, all your friends, even if you've got one, two, three, ten, or twenty, if you try to live up to their expect, expectations of you, you will drive yourself bonkers. I wish I could tell you about all the psychological studies that show that living by others' expectations and other people's false standards and and it, it, it won't work. The second thing, the second E, is emotions. We live by our emotions. Uh, you, everybody knows, you might not know him, but you remember Pat Boone. He had a daughter named Debbie Boone, and Debbie came out with a song back in the, I don't know, 19-whatever. It was called, You Light Up My Life. And I remember thinking, so many people sang that at their weddings. You light up my life. And one of the phrases in that song was, 
It can't be wrong if it feels so right. Have you ever sang that song? It can't be wrong if it feels so right. There's a lot of things that can be wrong, and they feel right. Think about it. Everything I've ever done wrong, it felt so good. It felt so right. We can't go by our emotions. It's not a straight edge. The third thing is ease. And i got to hurry. It's almost lunchtime. Good night. Um, the third thing is it, is it, is it ease. E-A-S-E. We, tr- we make our decisions based on expectations, emotions, and ease. We tend to make decisions on the path of least resistance. I know myself. I know myself well enough that I'm going to wake up in the morning and say, Okay, I know that that's hard, and I know that this is easy. That's what I'm doing. What about you? I'm going that way, and we can't be guided by ease, especially in parenting. All you guys with these little ones, they are going to almost drive you crazy, but please don't take the easy way. Love them hard. And I don't mean beat them to death. I mean, when they start to press you and start to not do what you say, don't say, I just, I don't want to deal with this. It's too hard. No, love them and deal with it. Okay. If we all make decisions based on expectations, emotions, and ease, uh, we'll get all tangled up and confused. Notice what God's word does for us, what it says it'll do. Verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the law is perfect, reviving the soul. Does everything around you seem like it's dying? Being a pastor, uh, I told some people last week in a sermon, I remember a, a lady named Ronnie. She had these big, chocolate, beautiful eyes. She came. She called our church up in Pennsylvania. She said, I need to, I need to talk to a pastor. And there were only two of us. I said, sure, come on by. Because she, she came off us, she sat down, and big tears in her big brown eyes, and she said, I just found out that my best friend is having an affair with my husband. And I thought I had seen it all. Every, her, relate, her heart was dying. Her marriage was dying. And you look around you, and I guarantee you, I could go down row after row, and I would say, and you, and you, you could say, I, I can relate to that. Something in my life is dying right now. And sometimes it's our own hearts. Sometimes it's our own hearts. But look at what God's word does. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I know that your kids probably have meltdowns, but can I tell you that I'd had a meltdown this week? You know, we're looking for a church, and uh, I got an email Thursday from a... Now, folks, this church was on Hilton Head Island. Want to go to Hilton Head Island? You might hate it, but I thought, please, God, can I go and work and pastor on Hilton Head Island? I got an email that said, thank you. We've got a lot of fine men, a lot of good skills. You're not the one. I thought, ugh. 
going to have to go to Greenville or something. Anyway, I, you probably love Greenville. Everybody, everybody, in the, everybody in the ARP loves Greenville. Anyway, I had a meltdown. I, I, I laid in the bed and I thought, I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. It doesn't have to be Hilton Head. I'll, I'll go to Greenville. I'll go to Alaska. Well, maybe not. But I just started to have a meltdown. And, I'm, and my wife said, God is going to take care of us. He loves us. You remember, she said, you remember that time when we first got out of college and we didn't have a dime and I got a job. You didn't have a job. You were looking for a church. She said, you remember that time where we went, I went to work that day and all the teachers at school had taken up and, and paid our bills for a month? She said, you remember that? I said, yeah. God's faithfulness, her word to me, revived my soul. You need to tell each other that. Husbands, you need to tell your wives that when it gets hard. Wives, you need to tell your husbands that. Tell them, give them some words from God that's going to revive their hearts. What shapes your heart? Is it God's word? Now, up to now, you might have, you might be thinking, well, when we say God's, all this passage talks about is God's rules and God's laws and His commandments, and you think. Really? Those things, are, those things are hard. But what shapes your heart? You might have think everything I've said right now, we would be in a better place if everybody obeyed God's word and kept his laws, and probably we could. But listen, God's law will destroy you unless you have it in the right place in your life. Now, I'm not talking about do you have a Bible and you don't read it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm assuming that all of you have a Bible. I want you to understand the role that God's Word has in our lives. So what's the role? Well, any coach or sport in sports will tell you you can have a tremendous athlete with all the talent in the world, but if they don't play their role, if they don't understand their role, they'll blow up a team. I was the kid in youth group that when we learned to play volleyball, you remember the kid that couldn't stay in his place? They said, this is volleyball. I said, okay, how are you playing? They said, well, there's a net. There's six people on that side. you got six people on this side. And you got to hit the ball back and forth over the net. And I said, well, that seems pretty easy because I'm pretty good at sports. And when they started hitting the ball over, it didn't matter where they hit it. I'm going after the ball. You know that kid? It drove you crazy because they wouldn't stand. You'd get ready to hit it, and this dumb kid would run out in front of you and hit. That was me. I didn't, and so the, the youth group leader came over with a stick, and he drew a circle on the volleyball court. He said, don't get out of this circle. You have to know what role God's word has in your life. Now, verse 1 Verses 1 to 6 tells us about nature. It tells us that even the, even the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa, a person can look at creation and they say, there's something bigger out there, there's somebody more powerful out there, because this, this couldn't come from anything. And so 
Creation, it says, declares the glory of God. Creation makes a big deal about who God is. Do you ever listen to creation? I, I love going to the beach and looking at the waves roll in and think, God made this and he made he knows he knows how many grains of sand. Don't let that don't let that stuff get old. If you go to Bon Clarkin, don't let the mountains get old. They're trying to tell you something that you ought to make a big deal out of God. So verses 1 to 6 is creation. It tells us about this. Now, verses 1 to 6, the Hebrew name for God is Elohim. And it's just sort of a, it's sort of a generic. It's like vanilla ice cream. It's just sort of generic. It's God. But verses 7 to 14, the word for God changes. Look in your Bible and I hope that it's in there. Verses 7 to 14 has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital G, D. What does that mean? Well, it's the name Yahweh. And it's like this. God gets more personal as he goes through this psalm in the same way that he wants to be personal with us. Um, we have uh, some friends, you know, prob- anybody, any doctors in here? No doctors. Anybody want to be a doctor? Anybody want to make the money that doctors make? Okay, uh, we, okay. you go to your doctor, and he has his little name, he's Dr. Edwards. And you go into his office, and you say, well, Dr. Edwards? He says, no, 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 just call me John. What did he just tell you? You've got me as some big, high, proper doctor. I want to know you. Just call me John. Yeah, I don't like being called reverend. I don't, I hate that word. Don't call, when I go out the back door and I stand, I shoot, don't call me reverend, just call me David. That's all I am. But you see, God comes to us in between verses 6 and 7. He doesn't change his name, but he says, just call me Yahweh. Just call me, just call me Yahweh. I want to know you that way. I don't want you to be afraid to come to me. I don't want you to be afraid to tell me your doubts and your fears. And you know what? When we start to feel defeated and low and depressed and or, or even God wants us to come to him, not like the God who sits up in that balcony and you better not screw up or he'll mess you up. Just come to me. Does that shape your heart? Does that shape your heart? Well, real quick, the, the role of God's law, number one is this. It's to press us into the reality that we are broken people. The, the role of the Bible is to show us uh, that we are broken. Some people come to the Bible and they start to read all the commands in it and they start to see all the things that we're supposed to do and they start to think, I can't do this. And you know what? You can't. And that's a very good place to be. Because when you say, I can't do this, that's when God comes to you. Because a lot of people come to church, they get a Bible, they fall in, they do worse things than go to the beach when they're supposed to be in church. That's a joke. They do much worse things and they think, I got to do better. I got to do better. I got to start keeping laws. And you're trying to please God 
on your own. And let me tell you, it won't work. That's not what the Bible's for. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to, to, to call sinners to repentance. Christianity is for people that see their need for help. They see their need for Christ. And so if you come to God's laws, if you come to his precepts and you say, yeah, I can do that, and I don't do that. I heard a sermon a couple of days ago. You would almost thought that the person preaching was God. Well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't want you to do this. It's, it, the way that we talk in Christian circles sometimes is that all those people outside of the church are bad people, and we're the good people. No, the Bible says we're all messed up. Amen? We're all messed up. And we can't keep this stuff. Verse 12, in fact, is a rhetorical question. It's one of those questions where you know the answer to. He says, who, he, he looks at all this stuff in the Bible. He says, who can discern his errors? In other words, he says, who can keep all this stuff? Who, who can keep all this stuff? Uh, and he starts to feel defeated. And that's, that's the place where God wants us. We're broken and we need a redeemer. We need to be declared innocent. So the first role of God's word is to press us into the reality that we're broken people. The second one is to push us to see what Christ has done for us. Look at, look at, all, look at all these verses. It's really not there, but look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is one of the most precious words in the entire Bible. Y'all look really good this morning. Especially y'all with the choir robes on. Y'all look really good. Don't I look good? I tied my tie. I put water on my head to make my cow lick lay down. But y'all look pretty good. But we're broken, folks. And I don't know who your next pastor's going to be, but if he comes in here and he tries to woo you and tell you, you're not that bad. You say, wrong. The Bible pushes us to see what Christ has done for us, to see that we need a Redeemer. Galatians 4.4, one of my favorite Christmas passages. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The Bible is mainly given... To show us that we need a redeemer. And when a Christian reads the Bible, when we read the law, the prophets, all those things, you don't read it and say, I got to do all that. We read it and we look at it and say, Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ has done all that. And his record is on my account. Deep within us, we all know that we ought to be perfect. And one way to kill your spiritual sensibilities is to think I'm better than most people that'll kill you lastly the gospel is the only way to move towards being perfect never trusting in anything that you've done but what Christ can do completely in what he's done lastly it shows us how to please God now this is, what, this is the children's sermon I gotta do it one more time because y'all paid me a lot to do this this morning 
We, the Bible shows us how to please God. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Bible, okay, listen. The Bible is not a ladder to get to heaven. The Bible's not a ladder. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. When you're in love with someone, how do you know? You know, I haven't met my other son yet. He's about 6'4". I thought I was tall, and then he started growing, and he's like 6'4". He goes off to Winthrop. He starts going to RUF, and uh, a, couple of months late, a couple of months later, he said, Dad, um, I love you. I said, I know you do. He said, can I go to another church? This is when we still had our church plant. He said, can I go to another church? I said, yeah. And I'm thinking, this is so good. He's going to get himself up. He's going to go to church. He's going to take ownership of his faith. That's what you want to do as a parent, right? He starts going to another church. About a month later, my other son said, you know why Jonathan wants to go to another church, don't you? And I said, he loves God and he wants to take ownership of his faith. He said, no, there's a girl. (laughs) I said, really? He said, yeah, they work at Chick-fil-A together. They go to RUF together. He said, he just goes at church because it's a girl. And I've started to watch them in their relationship. And this is like a different kid. He gets up and does things he would never do for us. I thought, he's Cupid has gotten a gotten a bow in his heart but he's he he does things that he 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 loves her he tries to please her and you find out your wish is my command my wife says jump i don't always say how high but i should we find out what pleases her and you know you know what i'm trying to do now i'm trying to learn to make coffee she she loves coffee and in the morning, uh, I'm trying to learn how... I don't drink coffee. I don't know how to make it. I know how to pour water. I know how to uh, make a milkshake. But I don't know how to make coffee. I, I know that that pleases her. And some of our biggest arguments is when she's talking to me and I pull this dumb thing out. And I start poking around on it. She gets so mad. I know she doesn't like that. But here's my point. We'll wrap it up. God wants us to know him more than a volleyball. God's not just some thing out there. He's a person. He wants to know you more. He already knows all about you. He wants you to know him more. That's the role that the Bible plays in our life. And in love, when the pleasure of giving pleasure becomes greater than the pleasure of taking pleasure, that's how you know that you love something. Let me say it again. When the pleasure of giving to someone becomes greater than the pleasure of taking it, that's why. That's how you know you're in love. Husbands, when your wife asks you to do something and you don't like it, but you do it because there's pleasure in it, you're giving her pleasure, you know what, that's, that's love. It's not taken all the time. And in doing it, you know what happens? In doing it, 
something changes in our hearts and it starts to shape our hearts. Don't, don't think that the Bible is a ladder to get you to heaven. The Bible is a book to tell you how to know Jesus Christ. His word shapes our hearts. Let's bow together and pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for your, that you tell us who you are, what you're like, and that we can't go at it on our own, but we come to you as broken people and we can know you better and deeper. In your name we pray, amen.